Hi, I'm James Klusky, and you are listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to episode 95 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Molly, your host. This week, I speak to former pro turned entrepreneur and good friend of mine, James Klusky. We briefly touch on James's playing days and then chat about his transition to life after tennis and the challenges he faced finding his next mountain to climb. Before we get started, a shout out to our podcast sponsors, Slinger, who make the awesome portable ball machine, the Slinger Bag. Check out slingerbag.com to get more info on the Slinger Bag and also to get shipping information. You can also follow them on Instagram at Slingerbag and DM them directly there. I hope soon to have them on the podcast so we can find out all about the Slinger journey from idea all the way to courts all over the world. Okay, let's chat to James. Hi, James. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Thanks for having me, Fabio. Good, glad to be here. 95 episodes in. Uh, I'm glad to get It's you. about time I got an invite. Yeah, you've helped me so much on, you know, getting tennis contacts early in the functional tennis days. You were my window to tennis players and we used to do a Q&A blog and I think you got me most of the players and then you had a podcast at one stage and we were we had those episodes up. So I definitely, I owe you a few beers whenever we get out of lockdown. I was just waiting for my phone to ring day for you to say, James, will you come on my podcast? It only took the 96th episode to get me on there. We just thought our audience wasn't big enough before. You would have said no to us, but I'm going to do a quick intro on James. But today we're going to talk about James, a good tennis career, but I think what he's done really well is transitioned into entrepreneurship, a big passion of his. And we're going to find out how he's done it, challenges he's faced and yeah, just his thoughts on it. But from, I know James, I don't know, since back training in Westwood back in the day, maybe I was trying to figure out the first time I met you was, and I can't actually remember, but it must be Westwood at some stage. Yeah, no, it was in Westwood. But I actually remember the first time I met you is in Macari's in the fish and chips shop in Glasnevin with Ray and Darren McLaughlin. Oh, wow, was it? So that, that's, yeah, I do remember it. For, some, for whatever reason, I remember it. I remember Ray saying, oh, was, oh that's uh, young Fabio, you know, like obviously you're older than me, but young Fabio. And the, so I do remember that. And then obviously I was in Westwood and I remember you coming into play. And uh, yeah. Well, your memory is better. It shows you my age. You definitely lose your memory. But Ray was a good man, Dara's dad. And Macari's for, I never actually mentioned the podcast. It's a family business of mine, which I spent many years working in. And we used to get the few tennis players sneaking over. It's located beside Tennis Ireland and some tennis players would sneak over for a bit of fried food every now and again. But you made a few appearances in there picking up jumpers over the year. That's where we sold our Christmas jumpers from. I did, yeah. But basically, James had a great tennis career. He was probably the top junior at certain ages throughout his early junior days. He successfully went to the States, had a good career at LSU playing doubles to a very, very high level. He was Ireland's number one doubles player for a long time. He was a long-term Davis Cup member. As far as I know, you're respected among all the tennis peers that you've played doubles with and others who have sp spoken to. This list goes on. You have helped Richard Branson with his tennis game extensively over the past few years. You've launched a book, which has been a really huge achievement recently. And you've been working on moving into entrepreneurship and you've set up your own business and done well. So that's probably the best intro I've ever done. So congrats on all that. But before I let you talk into moving into entrepreneurship and the transition, which I know you've also worked with 
other players in other sports, which is going to be really interesting to see how they've dealt with it. Tell us about your tennis days. Any fun stories? We like to have get a few fun stories and you're a man for good stories. I was talking to Fabrice Martin actually last weekend. He's obviously, uh, you know, done very well and I think he's, what is he, top 20 now in doubles. And I would have played a good bit with Fabrice and we had some good times traveling together. Uh, and I missed those days of, of traveling with him and other people and just the kind of things that happen along the way. And um, I remember actually... This is just something that's come to mind, but I remember going with him. Fabrice speaks Spanish, French, and English. And we flew from, I think we played somewhere in Italy, a challenge in Italy, maybe it was Reconate. And then we were going to um, Kazakhstan together. We stayed the night in Rome. And basically, it was this mammoth journey. Um, and we got to Kazakhstan after traveling for hours and hours, got to the airport. I usually would ask the information desk in the airport like how much is a taxi to the hotel you know if the, if the tournament weren't collecting you so the driver anyway he brought us to, to the hotel but he brought us to the wrong hotel and uh so we went in for reasons like this is the wrong hotel you know so it comes out and uh, he says okay bring us to the right hotel so we drive now the guy was he was obviously pulling a fast one on us like he so anyway he brought us to the correct hotel i get out of the car we go to pay him and the information desk at the airport told us whatever you were supposed to just say it was 50 euros it wasn't euros and he was like that's 250 euros you know i'm like no I'm not paying you that and then the guy starts he starts shouting at me in russian really shouting at me and uh we'd been traveling for maybe 18 19 hours or something and fabrice was standing there and it was like four in the morning and i said to fabrice i was like Fabrice, what's he saying <laughs> and then yeah. i've never seen fabrice lose it like when he just goes he's what the how the F do I know what he's saying? You effing, you know, shouting at me. But I was like, you speak loads of languages. Like, do you not know what he's saying? Like, it's funny. At the time, you do trips like that on the tour and you think, oh, this is horrendous in my life. And, you know, it's obviously really tough travel days and all that stuff. But I actually, I mean, especially in this COVID time where I haven't been able to travel for a year, I actually miss it. Like, I miss those days and I miss um, those kind of fun, uh, in some ways, fun adventures with people, you know. You miss doing a, a Barry King workout in an airport in Finland or somewhere like that. Jeez, oh, I, I, I wasn't there for that now. But um, yeah, like, uh, genuinely, I think those those are the memories that you look back on. And you actually, you think of obviously the good tournaments you played, but then also probably the more stronger memories are the ones that the really tough weeks that you played where the food was difficult or you you know those are the kind of things that stand out sometimes so it's quite interesting and and the other thing is i wish i had taken more pictures and tagged pictures on facebook from tournaments and from tournaments that i was looking up to to win or or do well in or davis cup and stuff like that but i'm starting to kind of almost like you probably see now recently i got my some davis cup jerseys framed but I don't have enough of them, like, because I gave away so much stuff. A club might ask you for a shirt and I, I just yeah. give it to them. But now I'm at the point where I'm like, oh, why didn't I save that racket I played my first Davis Cup match with or my first, you know, the tournament win. Like, what was I doing giving away everything? <laughs> you were just waiting for the Grand Slam moments to come along where... Oh, they didn't come. <laughs> you gambled, you gambled. But you along the way built up some good connections and you used tennis to build up 
good connections. How did you do that? Like not everybody can do it. I really believe strongly that tennis is actually, it's very good for, it teaches you a lot of skills. And, and, and one of the big things, I mean, with the exception of obviously, you know, managing your budget and your travel and doing all that sort of stuff. But one of the other things, especially as a doubles player and as an Irish doubles player, is it teaches you all about networking because, you know, you have to go and find players to play with and you have to, you ha- you, without sending you know, you have to play the game in some ways. You have to network and you have to get good partners. And and I think there's an element where, and maybe I'm stereotyping a little bit, but where, where like the Americans will tend to play with the Americans and the French to, with the French and so on. And not always like, but but it, it it can happen because obviously they grew up together and they're from the same countries and so on. But as an Irish person, when I was moving up the rankings and I needed to start to get into challengers and, and, and then into one or two ATP events, you had to network to get a good high rank partner to get you into the draw. And the only way to do that was to actually be social at tournaments and meet people and, and, uh, practice with people and get to know them. And, 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 and that's the way that, that's the way the work, it works. And I mean, that's the way. It's the same thing in business now with, you know, with companies and, and networking and stuff. So I think that's a good thing that I learned. Who did you play with? Tell me some of the names. You played with some slam champions, Freddie Nielsen. I played with Freddie, yeah. So Freddie was very good to me, actually. Freddie was a, like a mentor, really brilliant. And I always had these kind of deep conversations with Freddie about life and the tour and tennis. And he's obviously a big football fan as well. So, you know, I like my football as well. So we got on well. Uh, so Freddie was Freddie was a guy that was very good to me. I played a lot with, obviously, I mentioned Fabrice, who's, who, who's made the final of the French and has gone on to do great things. Mike Venus in college, obviously Ken and Neil Skupski as well, in, more so in, in college. Dustin Brown, I played a couple of tournaments with him. Jeez, loads. Menendez, Adrian Menendez, we did well together. I remember I saw Herbert last year, Pierre Herbert at Wimbledon, and... Uh, I remember there's no one that's rejected to play with me more than Pierre Herbert. <laughs> I always, used, I always used to ask, I was like, Pierre, you, you know, you set this week, do you want to play this tournament? And he's like, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm, uh, I've got a partner. <laughs> 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 so I was editor to him last year and I was like, he rejected me so many times. But look, at least you asked. That's the main thing. That's it. You got to ask. Yeah. So no, I was very lucky. I mean, I was very lucky that I, that I, I played with really good partners. Great. Well, look, let's move into, the beef of this conversation of your transition from your tennis career into your entrepreneurship career, which you're doing quite well at the moment. What I know, it's taken a while, but so does everything takes a while. You don't just show up and become the best straight away. So yeah, tell us how the journey started and the challenges you faced and your working career in the middle of all that. Yeah, like if I go back to the start, I'd say... My dad is a is a farmer, but would be quite entrepreneurial. Like, has never I didn't grow up where he, you know, he wasn't going to a nine or nine to five job, right? And he would be quite entrepreneurial. But I never really thought about it in those days. But and then also my coach in Westwood in those days, Larry Larry Jurvich. Larry is quite encouraging. Of of you know, I know you have you've had James on the podcast as well, but Larry was very, you know, he got us reading a lot of books, whether it be Bruce Lee or Muhammad Ali, but also like entrepreneurial books as well. So, and, you know, I think people can have a big influence on you. And I think just that kind of, I suppose that I just always thought of myself as I always wanted to have my own company and do my own thing. And then when I played, when I played tennis, I think I'm always, I'm a bit of a dreamer anyway, like, so I love to kind of think big. And I think playing tennis is a kind of a a showcase of that. That's, I wanted to play professionally. I wanted to try and get to the highest ranking I could get to and so on. And then the transition out, I always wanted to have my own kind of 
business. And then there was a couple of, you know, a couple of di different, different things, but, uh, I ended up working for, uh, almost two years in a recruitment agency, uh, which, which was a good experience, but I also kind of had always had that yearning to, to, um, to get out and do my own thing. And I think one, one, one coach said to me that one of the things that stood out to me was I always asked a lot of questions when I, of the coach, you know, so I'd always be asking in terms of doubles, like positioning wise, and I just ask a lot of questions. And I think that I brought that probably mindset into business. And so I started a, a learning and development company. Um, and I, I built out this performance platform now, HC Collective, which is, which I've got, you know, a lot of companies using, uh, where I have master weekly master classes and breathing classes and fitness classes and so on. Um, and I've had, you know, one or two, I had one presenter on from, from tennis as well. So I kind of, I just like learning from different people, but that journey was hard in that, you know, I think when you, when you stop playing professionally and you maybe don't want to coach now, not that there's anything wrong with coaching because I enjoy coaching as well, but I always wanted to kind of have something outside of tennis. I think it's very wrapped up in your identity, right? And you kind of have to, it's tough. Like you go to a Christmas party, James, the default question is James has the tennis going, you're identified. It's all you've done your whole life. So to kind of move away from that is not easy. But on the flip side, what I say to athletes is the power of professional sport and, and sport, elite sport is it opens so many doors for you with business people and people respect sports people and they respect high performers and people that have kind of followed their dreams and gone after things um, and that mindset that that brings. So I think tennis has been very kind in terms of um, opportunities that, that it's given me as well. Well, you talk a lot about goals. You always have. I know you work with psychologists before with Davis Cup. I'm not sure who it was, but yeah. you're really goals orientated. So how important has that been for your business life? When you work for yourself, it's quite isolating as well. So like, I think it's very important to have kind of structure and, and targets. I think that's really, really important. And I think I've definitely brought that from my tennis career uh, in that I was very goal oriented in terms of rankings and, and, and how I was kind of achieving and going up the rankings. Um, and I brought that mindset into business in terms of, you know, you need X amount of companies or revenue or whatever it is. There's, there's obviously numbers metrics but then there's non-numbers metrics as well now on the flip side like you know maybe some of my regrets and if i look back in hindsight on my professional career maybe i played too much maybe i chased a little bit too much at times when i need to maybe go and do more practice weeks or you know if i in hindsight i might do one or two things differently but again all you can do is is learn and, and bring that you know into into business and for me it's always it's always been around okay you know, listening now to podcasts with people and, and reading interviews and so on and, and people from different industries and what lessons you can learn from them and, and then bring into your own kind of personal and professional development. But and I would be very goal oriented in terms of that. I, I love having goals. And tell me, when you were finishing up tennis, was there was there much help from the ATP tour to help guide you towards, you know, where you could be in the future? Yeah, like, I mean, this would be something I'm, I'm really passionate about because to say at the start, I think tennis is a, is an amazing sport. I'm very grateful to the sport for what it's done for me. And I think, you know, there's obviously issues around prize money and all those types of things. But I also look at it and say, wow, tennis has opened so many doors for me in terms of business. I'd also say, you know, my ranking was 145. So I wasn't in the top 100. So I wasn't at the kind of the top table. If you equate it to golf, I mean, I was a scratch golfer, right? So I was playing at a, at a high level and I just think there was nothing there. I mean, like for me at the time now, I know hopefully things are progressing, but I think tennis 
fundamentally, I think there's a cultural thing historically where coaches are encouraging players to leave school to, you know, drop everything and, and, and play. And then they play, they get a couple of points, they get a ranking, and then maybe they end up coaching, like they stop playing, they burn out, whatever. And I think it's really important that there's a kind of a more of a pathway in terms of like, now I know you've talked about college tennis, which is what I did and which is great. It doesn't have to be college tennis, but I think there has to be more of a kind of a structure there and more support for players at a, at a especially at a lower level. You know, I think, I think at the top of the game, the ATP, I know they have you know, a kind of a, I don't know the title of the, of the person, but I know they have someone there that's, you know, there to support players. But I think at challenger level and at futures levels, I think there needs to be more kind of structure there. Like, Is it a government? Is it national government? You see or more from the top level like ITF? If you look at governing bodies, I mean, I think it's hard. Like in Ireland, you can't say the Tennis Ireland should have, it's hard for them to, to, to do stuff now. Like, I stopped playing and I went to, I, I got introduced to someone in the Institute of Sport and the Institute of Sport for, for anyone listening is kind of around the Olympic sports, but tennis doesn't come under the Institute of Sport. So it was just their kind of career transition person being nice to me and giving, you know, having an, a, a me going to him for advice. And he was, he was brilliant. Like, but I think structure, and I know in the UK, the LTA have a designated person that works with players, but I think there's a twofold thing. I think you need the culture of the coaches to actually encourage players to engage with it because I think the culture is that it's a distraction. Like they should be 100% focused on tennis. And I really dispute that because like, you know, how many people are going to make enough to retire forever? And then also the second thing is, even people at the very top of the game who do make, you know, incredible living or whatever, you know, you still need purpose, right? And you still need to yeah. get up with purpose and you still need to, you, you still have hopefully 40, 50 years of your life left, right? So I think there's an onus on the, on the governing bodies. I think the ITF, look, you're at a tournament. There should be, there should be through the IPIN, there should be through some kind of platform where a player can go on and learn how to make a CV, they can learn, you know, different yeah. kind of things that they can upskill, maybe, you know, have access to things. And then also, I mean, I, I thought there should be some workshops or tournaments where maybe people come and, and, and present to players. Now you can, you can argue and, and I don't want to go off on a tangent and you can say, well, players won't attend these workshops. Fair enough. Again, I think that's the education piece. You can say at the top of the game, I think they have maybe access to, I don't know if it's LinkedIn learning or so. There's definitely access to something, but structurally, there's something fundamentally that, that there needs to be more support for players um, in, in, in terms of their transition. So maybe they should get some cash or a point or something that they attend these events. Well, that would do it for sure. Um, like, you know, I know when I worked in a kind of recruitment job, I worked with some athletes and I worked with some rugby players around career transition. And rugby have, you know, they have the added advantage that they can go out to teams, right, and do workshops. So it's 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 not an individual sport, you yeah. know, so it, it is more, it is easier. But they just have so much more of a structure for players that there's a soft, they call it a soft landing, you know, that you don't wake yeah. up on a, on, a, on a Monday and... What will I do with my life? What will I do, right? Join over 10,000 people who have downloaded our free match and practice PDFs over at functionaltennis.com forward slash downloads. Our match and practice PDFs help you plan and evaluate your matches and practices. We have some other free downloads there for you too. So make sure you go over to functionaltennis.com forward slash downloads. And... Do you find a difference between guys and girls come from a team sport or a singular sport like tennis? Is there a different mentality 
after retirement? It's a really good question. I don't know, actually. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, from my experience, there hasn't been much of a difference. Like the people that I've met from team sports, rugby, soccer, there hasn't been. But just when you asked that question, I was thinking of one of the rugby guys. He, he wrote about it publicly and he said, what's the worst thing about retiring? And his quote was being removed from the team WhatsApp group. Which sounds like, you know, the team WhatsApp group that you're in. And, and I actually think about this, if I relate it to tennis, I think there's a lot of guys that I would have been friends with that I haven't really spoken to much. And obviously there's an onus on me as well, but you know, you're kind of out of sight, out of mind. The, t- the tour moves on and you're just a guy who used to play and they might still be playing and they're not. Maybe they, like there were guys you went out for dinner with, but they, you might have seen them as friends at the time, but they're probably not friends. Like, so I think it's, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic, like in debate. I think in a more micro level, it can be like that at your local tennis club or your local sports club where, you know, you're seeing people every week or every month and, you know, you, you may work off that and say, oh, let's go out for dinner or let's do this or let's play tennis. But if you're not seeing them, there's no inclination to, just randomly WhatsApp them and say, what's up? Let's do some, unless you're really good friends with them. So I see the tennis being just a more extreme version of that where you're at Russia with nothing else to do. And so you're just hanging around with your core group. Yeah, no, it's a fair point that like when I went to Wimbledon in 20, 2019, I'm like, you know, tennis is one of those things where you can walk in and you can meet people that you haven't seen for a couple of years. And it's kind of like, like you never left in some ways, right? Yeah. So I think it's a, it's an interesting thing, but I think, you know, I, I've had several players have contacted me for advice around what they're doing next and being really nervous about um, in terms of their, their transition from, from, from the sport. One person has, you know, had mental health issues um, and I think it's probably from, from tennis piece as well. So I think it's, it's something that's, it's something that's important. And I think other sports do it better than, than tennis. And I really, I really believe that, like that, that I played my sport to an expert level. And when you retire from a sport, I don't care who it is, whether it's the ITF, whether it's the ATP, whether it's Tennis Ireland, but there should be some kind of structure there for someone that they can have. And that, if you want to call it the soft landing. Yeah, no, I completely, there should be a lot more out there. And you're right. Other sports do provide a lot more help. But just touching on something else is totally different, but the competitive spirit, so your competitive spirit when you're playing matches, be it Davis Cup, be it, I don't know, a champion's breaker in a final where you're down. How have you replaced that? Has business replaced that or have you not replaced it or has paddle? <laughs> yeah, because I'm playing a lot of paddle tennis. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think it ever gets replaced. I mean, I do think like, I, you know, in terms of business, like I, I, you know, when you get a big deal or a good contract or whatever you want to call it, there's that, like, I've definitely done the fist bump in the room in front of the computer. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I probably haven't gone the, uh, done the Nadal jump. Top yeah, off, yeah, rip the top off and, uh, shout vamos. But, um, I definitely think, uh, it, it's hard to replace it. Uh, but again, I'm a dreamer and now I dream about my company and scaling that. And, and so there's kind of a new, and I think that for me, if I was to around the transition piece, I think it's, it's, you know, as a tennis player, you start off as a junior and you dream of winning Wimbledon, being number one in the world, whatever it is. And then you get to your pro career and it's almost like there's a mountain in front of you and you're trying to climb that mountain. Slow, you know, there's knocks along the way. You're losing first round. You're winning it. You're having those little ups and downs, but you can, you can see that mountain and you're like really going after that mountain. And then I think it's, you retire, you stop, 
And I'm not saying this for everyone, but this is kind of my my what I went through. I think is is that you're you're kind of thinking, well, what's the next mountain? Like, where am I? What am I trying to climb? You know, what 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 do I dream about doing? What gets me out of bed in the morning? Um, and I think. I think it takes time to to find that mountain, like, and I think I've had a couple of false starts in terms of mountains that I was trying to trying to climb or things I did. Um, but now, in the last yeah, the last year, I think in terms of what I'm doing with the, with the platform piece, I definitely feel like I've, I I can see a mountain now, and I'm I'm on your way. Well, I don't know if I'm on my way, but I'm I can definitely see the mountain there anyway. Yeah. Whether I can climb it is another thing. But you're you're at base camp. I'm at base camp, but it excites me, like, you know, and I think, I think in terms of transition, I think that's the piece for players. You know, a lot of players end up stopping, you know, retiring from the sport and then they go into coaching and maybe it's, you know, maybe they love coaching and that's what, what they want to do. Like, I think of someone like Pete Bothwell, who's, who played Davis Cup for generation after me. Well, I don't know what his highest ranking was, maybe 600, 700. Mid 500s, I think. I know, I could be wrong. I don't want to do him a disservice and say 600 when he was 500, but whatever he was, um, and obviously an expert tennis player, had a good career, really nice kid. Like you can tell that he loves coaching and that's what he's passionate about. And he's, you know, he's going to be a great coach. But I think there's, on the flip side, I think there's other people maybe who stopped playing tennis who think because they've been sold this dream about, you know, reaching the top and it doesn't yeah. happen. And then they're like, Oh, I have to coach tennis, and they're kind of a pissed off tennis coach. Like, and 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 those are the people that I think, yeah, like you need to, to find that mountain that you want to climb is is the key. I think. Yeah, and no, I th- I think you you put it well there. It's like finding this next mountain. That's a that's a good way. And you're lucky enough you did. You went searching for it. Some people probably don't search for it. They just stay on the coaching pad, and that's it. Like, but it's good to see you have a you have that passion and somebody like I don't Matt Wait Middlecoop sent me a message this morning saying he is going to be sending me his next uh he's working on his clothing range and he's going to be sending that over which is really exciting and he knows he's getting ready for he's using tennis right now to grow his brand but I was just I only remember there do you remember years ago we tried to sell a tennis training pack do you remember that we looked into it we didn't do oh, anything oh I do actually yeah with, have you seen any of them or no no, I there's a bit online, but it actually worked well on functional tennis. So just another man. Oh, yeah, not going there. with that now, but no, but, no I, I, like I think that's brilliant in terms of what Mathway's doing, and and I think that kind of gives the soft landing, isn't it? In that, like he's not waking up on Monday morning when he does decide to, when te- you know if he gets injured or yes, whatever happens, it's a gradual kind of step into that. You know, um, I think Ru- Ruben Stadium as well, uh, who has the tennis stringer, the pro stringer. Like he was doing that when I was playing with him. With him now, I mean, you could argue with the people doing stuff when they're playing. You could argue that it's a distraction as well. I and mean, I've heard that made as well. So, like, uh, you know, I, I believe that it's it's important to have other interests while you're playing outside the sport, whether you're into politics, whatever it is. But like, you don't have to maybe have a business, but it's just that you're not your identity is not defined by tennis. Yeah, so the guy I went to was Darius Sheridan in the Institute of Sport, and he said to me the average transition from sport is three years to kind of get comfortable with who you are and what you want to do and so on. And I remember looking at him at the time thinking, this guy is crazy. This is mad. Like, but in reality, it's, it's, it's pretty, I mean, in my case, pretty accurate in that, like, not that I was, you know, I was always doing things and doing well, but. I definitely think it's, it, you know, it, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it was probably harder than I thought it was going to be. No, definitely. Well, look, a few more questions, James. One I want to ask is what's the one thing you learned from your time with Richard Branson? 
Oh, yeah. So very lucky to, to have coached him tennis. And the one thing, I mean, he's obviously written that book, Screw It, Just Do It. I think that, I think the piece around positivity, like if you could put it into one word, it'd be positivity or live your life or go after things or dream big, whatever you want to say. But he definitely kind of oozes that, you know, have fun and just go after things, you know, like he'd be, he'd be, he's just an incredibly positive person. So when you meet him and you tell him what you're doing, he's like, oh, it's brilliant. Like you need to, have you thought about doing this, this? He's just, you know, he's always, you know, we have those people that would yeah, maybe be, they'd look at all the things that is wrong with it. Pessimist, yeah. Yeah, whereas uh, he would, he's very positive. So uh, no, very lucky to to have have spent time with him and then other people I've met, obviously through there as well. So, and what bit of advice from from your career, not from Richard, now would you have for for listeners who are on their tennis journey early on, like young teenagers? I think it's a short career. Like you don't really appreciate that at the time. You think it just will go on forever. So I would say, enjoy it, work hard because it doesn't last forever. Um, and the second thing, I think going back to a point I made around the kind of chasing a little bit where you're, you know, you're playing tournaments and, and, and maybe like one thing I regret is, is if I was at futures level, I'd make a decision to go to one or two challengers, even if I maybe wasn't going to get in or borderline get in and, and practice with, 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 with the guys up there, because I think that would expose you to the level. And I kind, I did that a little bit. And then I obviously, you know, got, did well in challengers and then I got into one or two ATP events, but I wish I'd gone to more ATP events without actually being in, but to actually just expose myself to the, be around the level again. And um, so that's, that's one of my pieces that I would have done differently. Um, I would say. And tell me what player from your playing career who's still playing now has surprised you the most? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Somebody you thought that wouldn't make it probably. Well, recently, I mean, Karatsev has done you know, unbelievably well. I mean, I, I played him. I played Kachanov as well. I think I have a win over Kachanov or I might have lost in a matchbreaker. I need to look that up. But I think I lost to him and to him and Karatsev in a matchbreaker, actually. No, I always thought he would do well. Probably didn't think he would do as well as he's done, but no, I always thought he would do well. I would say maybe, uh, maybe someone like Albot, you know, Radu Albot has, has been a consistent top 100 player. I remember watching him at Challengers and thinking, you know, he used to win futures and he'd come to challengers and he'd, he, he would do okay. But I remember, I never thought he was that good. Like any reason why did he just stick at it or anything that sticks out? I think the biggest difference is I don't think the level is that different, but I think it's the consistency of making results, you know, and he's obviously he's shows up every day and he's very good at what he does. But I, I, I don't understand what, what, like I don't understand from what it shows what I know. Like, and then the other one was Goffman. Now, I remember actually saying this to one or two players at the time because he was starting to do really well towards the end of my career. But I remember saying, like, if you had told me when I played him in a, in a challenger, if you told me then that that guy would be 80 in the world, I'd say, yeah, like, you know, I wouldn't think that's yeah. beyond the realm of possibility. Like, or if you'd said 50, I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, like maybe. But if you'd said to me like top 10 or, you know, yeah. I would have been thinking, geez, you're, you're, you're mad, you know? So, so, <laughs> so everyone hits a tennis ball well, but there's, there's things along the way that kind of the stars align. Sometimes you, you get a little bit lucky. You're obviously, you know, you have to be good enough as well, but he's an amazing player and he's done incredible, but I wouldn't have seen that. Whereas other people probably, probably would have. I was going to say Dan Evans beating Djokovic yesterday. 
Yeah, what a great calculated win. Yeah, like he's someone very interesting to me, actually, because I remember in futures, like I remember seeing him kind of, you know, not looking a bit worse for wear before matches, as in a bit tired, like, yeah. and you can make your own mind up about it. Probably out of a few pubs or whatever, but, and I actually had, I actually had to say this in like a really complimenting way to him because he's actually one guy I, did, I actually played him a few times and I lost. So I don't win over him, but he was always that guy who's really talented, really good. And I remember actually saying to him, or it's not saying to him, but saying to someone, um, I think he's the kind of guy who in 20 years will sit in a, sit in a pub and be like, Oh my God, I could have been so much better than I was. I think he, I, I thought he would live with so many regrets because it was so obvious how talented he was and how good he was. Mm. but he was just kind of some days he'd be at the races, some days he wouldn't, you know? Literally at the races. On the flip side then, I'm like, I have so much respect for him for what he's done, like, and how he's how he's kind of rebuilt his career and obviously he had good people around him that helped him do it, but, uh, like, I'm, I'm very happy for him and stuff, but I'm, 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 I'm happy that he's not going to have those regrets because he's, he's having a great career and that's what he should have always had and, uh, yeah, so so when I see him beat Djokovic, I'm I'm happy for him, and I'm happy that he's 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 fulfilling his potential. Like, yeah, no, it's good to see because so many times you hear of people who don't fulfill their potential are wasters, and he was on that path. Let's be honest, and he managed to turn it around. And you see, like the Feders practice with him multiple times now. So there must be some a lot, of, well, a lot of respect for him there to Federer take him under his wings, and he's obviously learning from that, and he's applying himself and yeah fair play to him hopefully let's see how far he can go this week i did see the bit of beef with musetti i'm not quite sure i think musetti said he didn't give him the respect that he deserved and anyway so evans had some beef back at him but look that's part of tennis but finally uh for those who don't know not many people do know actually but james holds the jc invitational oh god a little term tier and one of the founding members has moved to Barcelona. So I think we're going international with that maybe in 2022, are we? So we put up a sign up page. People can sign up. Yeah, we're, uh, we're bringing an international. So, um, that actually it's, it's, it's plagiarized a little bit in that I played a tournament in, in London with a great, a great tennis person, a guy called Johnny Barr, who's, um, a really, it's one of the nicest guys in the world. I was in London and he said, do you want, you've been invited to this thing called the JB Invitational. <laughs> and so I went and played in this and I think Dom Ingloff played in it actually. So it was kind of, it was eight guys, you know, good level. And then we just had dinner after. And I think tennis is just such a, an amazing sport for like bringing people together. Right. And, um, so we played this fun thing and then we had dinner after and, and JB, I remember, I, I, I think I said to Matan, I was like, geez, this is brilliant. You know, so then I, I just had this idea is like, look, I'm going to start hosting tennis, like just small. I mean, there's nothing, it's, it's small tennis events um, every now and again. I just have eight people. And I usually have, I usually have four kind of class one or I'm trying to think of what the new ITF tennis number is, but, but whatever, I, I try and have four kind of, I don't want to say good players, but like, and then four, um, you know, lower level players who, uh, and just give them the opportunity to play with the, 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 the generally younger guys. And then on the flip side, then the younger guys, it's obviously good in terms of networking and, and meeting people and all that sort of stuff. So, and I call it the JC Invitational. And we have, we have the same, same format as, as the JB Invitational. Oh, God. And have dinner after. And, uh, now we've introduced the trophy and everything. And, uh, and bragging rights, all about the bragging and rights. And bragging rights. I was saying that because Phil has 
move to Barcelona. Yes, we'll have to bring it to Barcelona, but then also the next JC Invitational. Um, we we was gonna put the we're gonna put the Phil Scruggs Memorial on the trophy or something like. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, look, hopefully we can get back out in the tennis court in a few weeks. Things are opening up. Thanks for jumping on, James. Appreciate. Good to get your insight on the transition. And wait, sorry, can I? Because I cause, can I just close with this? Because I know Mark will probably listen. I actually spoke to him yesterday. So for those, Mark was um. Yeah, he's a very good player. I was trying to think of who his equivalent of an ATP player would be, but he's a crafty kind of drop shot lob. So he was the king of the under 12s. But he admitted to me over over a couple of beers about two years ago that he we played a <laughs> we played in the final of the tournament, and uh, so I had match points. I hit the forehand inside out. He called it out, and he actually said it was in, and then he ended up winning the match. And he's lived with that lie for a number of years, and then admitted to me a couple of years ago that he cheated me. So. I'm looking for that that result from. I'm looking for the trophy, and I'm looking for the the um, the result to be rescinded from from him. So couldn't live with the guilt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But no, th- thanks a lot, and yeah, I'll see you on the tennis court in a few weeks. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed that chat with James. It was great having him on the show. Long overdue. I'll be back next week, and until then, get busy on the tennis court. Bye.